Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols. On today's episode, we have a very special guest. It's Pearson Cootie. He is currently ranked the number two amateur on the World Amateur Golf Rankings, and he has also spent time ranked as number one. He's played in the U.S. Open, a PGA Tour event, the Walker Cup, and has been on one of the best college golf teams in the country over the past four years. I'll let him introduce himself, and we will get into what you can learn from a great amateur player like this. All right, let's get into the interview with Pearson Cootie. First of all, thank you for doing this. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I've, I've had some, I've had some good players on the on the Mental Golf Show, but not not a bunch of like really good amateur players. So it's cool to have you on and um, kind of get your perspective on things. So maybe you could start just by introducing yourself, your name, um, what what you're doing right now, and kind of how you got here. Your kind of history in golf. Okay. Yeah, I'm Pearson Cootie, uh, senior at University of Texas in Austin, and uh, uh, number two ranked amateur in the world right now. Uh, got to number one last year for a brief time, and I guess number two in PGA Tour U. That's an important ranking that they have going right now. And uh, I guess my history in golf is uh, long because my granddad played uh, professionally and had uh a very good career out on the tour and then my dad played at texas and uh he attempted to play professionally as well played about seven or eight years on what like nike and the hogan tour which was the corn ferry uh and then gave it gave it up and uh kind of taught my brother and i to uh i guess get to the point where we are now that's right so you've got a twin brother that's also on the team yes parker right he's Yes. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, you're ranked higher than Parker, but he's a good player, obviously. I mean, he wouldn't be on Texas if he wasn't a good right. player. Is he, I mean, do you, you get this question all the time, I'm sure, but do you guys have like some kind of golf rivalry or like, uh, are you competitive with each other? That kind of thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very competitive. We have a, you know, we have a ping pong table at the house. So we just, we, we grind on and, you know, putting contests. Any, anything that we can make competition out of we do for the better or the worse it just i don't know it just is that way and uh you know i I can easily say that both of us are much better golfers because of it and having each other uh you know golf growing up's tough when you're by yourself you're six seven eight nine years old however old you are when you really start to get into it you want to practice but if you don't have someone someone out there on the range with you like you just get bored. You get so bored not having someone to play putting contests with and hit balls and just mess around in the bunkers and just figuring out the game by yourself is, I mean, it's daunting. It's boring at that age, to say the least. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, having someone good or just someone else to play with and kind of compare your game to is 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 a big deal. And speaking of competitive and your twin brother, I saw the article that came out yesterday about you guys and what you yeah. did to yourself. Can you talk to me about that? What, what happened? What, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, it's another, just, it's a stupid competitive freak accident. I guess it's the only way to put it. We are just having team workouts and, um, this is end of November, November 30th. And, uh we just oh it's so stupid it just sounds so stupid that there's we did a team relay race ran down and back and uh Parker and I were the last on both of the relay teams we were the whatever the team captains split up the teams and uh we're just neck and neck coming back and we've been doing it on the football field and we did it you know inside and it um all, all you can think about when there's eight guys just yelling at you to win the race was win the race. And and it just didn't think for one second, like, you know, the consequences of not slowing down uh, and both have fractures and a radial head, which is uh, your right elbow. So, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it's about, 
you know, it's a six weeks recovery for the fracture to heal. And then so two more weeks till the fracture is closed up, but been doing a, a ton of rehab. And so hope once January comes around, I'll really be able to uh, start practicing again and, and, you know, start, start the season. We're, uh, we're really lucky that golf is so backloaded and it played a really, it was really tough last year with it being so backloaded. Uh, just the way things fell for me playing my first tour event, Brian Nelson in the Walker cup. I played during a college season with school and everything. I think I played like 12 weeks in a row and it was just, it was crazy. But, uh, having that, those very important tournaments at the end of the season gives us more than enough time to recover, practice and get going. I mean, we missed the first two events. We still have seven more golf tournaments after that. Like there's, it's not a shortage of time in golf. It's just getting healthy and then coming back. Like when I feel comfortable being on the course again. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously yeah, freak accident because of the competitiveness and it happened to be with your brother. So it's just like perfect right. storm led to that. So across the last four weeks or whatever it is, uh, since it's mm -hmm. been, has it been hard or was it like a kind of a natural time to take a break anyway? Like I'm sure you would have been practicing, but how has that been like mentally on your golf? Oh yeah. It's, it's been really, I mean, it, it has been really hard. It's nice like to take a break, but when you take a break, you're still doing stuff that you love. You know, you're working out, you're playing basketball with your friends, you're doing a lot of things and uh, just the nature of it. Like uh, can't, just can't risk doing a lot of things that could re-injure it. it. It would be kind of the worst thing that could happen. So uh, it's been tough. It's been really tough. It's, but it's getting a lot better now that it's like, I'm out of the sling. I'm, I can move it. I can hold things. I can do all these other things now. So I finally am like picking up on, uh, I guess, I don't even know what you would call free time stuff, but the days are just long. You don't play golf. It's, I've always said that, but it's, <laughs> Three or four weeks of that in a row is really just killer, especially during winter break when you don't have class. Because I mean, when when you don't have class or you don't have golf, all you want to do is you know get some good grades, get ahead a little bit. But uh, taking one Spanish class over the winter semester, and that's really all I've got going. So just hang out with friends. I go walk the golf courses, uh, help them out, giving not paid golf lessons, but I held my friends on the range, just watching him balls. And so it's, it's been all right, but yes, it's been long and it's been just counting down the days for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it is. It, it's a, it's a long time of year, no matter what. I mean, unless you're in great weather and you can, you know, play year round, but, um, it's a, it's a, it can be a tough time of year no matter what, cause it's off season. But, uh, let's, let's move on to like some of your results before you, uh, fractured your arm yeah. uh so like talk to me about the walker cup i mean obviously i'm sure mm -hmm. that was a amazing experience but talk to me about it how you you know maybe like how you got into it because you know your play gets you into it but talk to me about it and then your experience in it and just kind of things surrounding it yeah i mean the walker cup was it's been a dream since uh freshman year of college when i guess i can start off like how i kind of got into that setting was uh i won the south beach international uh my freshman year of college which uh the walker cup captain was uh was there watching and uh they just had the the practice the walker cup practice in florida and so a bunch of the guys on that practice squad and i didn't get invited to the practice squad came and played south beach i ended up winning so that put me on the radar for that 2019 team and uh and i i played really well i won the transmiss that summer and you know, I I had a case to be on that being a top thirty player in the world, but I was just the US team's so competitive, you've you've really gotta make an outstanding push to get into that uh to that I guess category because the Walker Cup normally they really prize amateur golfers and I had only been an amateur golfer for about a year, year and a half tops up to that point. And uh and so they they took guys that had been in amateur golf that were seniors kind of some fifth year guys and that's what made up the team going to liverpool but being in the conversation a little bit that for the, about that year really kind of put me in a good spot for you know two years later so i progress and 
luckily I did. Uh, the Western Amateur win was very big for just natural experience and all that kind of stuff. And that kind of put me over the edge. And luckily I, I built up a very strong college resume after that and ended up being a spot that was kind of a no brainer pick, uh, is, so I was very comfortable with where I was and, uh, we played at Seminole golf club, which is, I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's historic. It's, uh, Ben Hogan's, you know, one of his old kind of places that he would sit there and hit balls all day and, uh, putt, get ready for Augusta type thing. So there's all these kind of crazy stories of like, wow, I'm going to go get to play Seminole. And it was, you know, it was just so good. It was so much better than I ever could have imagined. Uh, we had the unfortunate situation of guys just getting food poisoning or stomach bugs, whatever it ended up being. But at the end of the day, those kind of experience kind of made everyone closer because we're all in there doing it together. That's that's what mattered. With code and everything, we were a little bit kind of isolated and separated. And the school's going on, so we're all doing classwork. We're going to golf course. We're doing media stuff it's just kind of broken up but it was once kind of i guess we we're there monday through sunday once kind of wednesday night thursday hit everyone was done with their homework got it all done and it was just you know it was it was just an incredible four or five days of hanging out with the best amateur golfers that you've been around your i guess your whole amateur career because those are the guys you've been trying to beat for a while now and you finally a lot of the guys on the Ryder Cup team, you finally get to play with them and and value how good a golf everyone is and their unique talents. So were you ranked number one at the time during the Walker Cup? No, I was I was in the top five. I I know I know Davis and Davis Thompson and John Pack and I were all kind of jumbled up into the top five there. I don't know where we all fell at the time though. Right. So did you did it feel like, like, talk to me about the like mental component of a of team golf. I mean, you've you've played on a team now for you know going on four years. So, is it is there more pressure? Is there less pressure? Is it more f- like free will? It just let it go. Talk to me about that. Yeah, uh, pr- there's obviously pressure and nerves. No matter what the situation is, you're gonna feel it, and you know it's it's how well you handle it. But nerves are they're valuable. They're, they're what you want. If you don't have nerves and you're playing the wrong sport, you're, you're not, I don't want to say you don't care enough because sure. Guys say they can play without nerves all the time, but I don't know if I believe it quite yet because every, every shot I hit in a golf tournament, I might not be nervous, but like the, the nerves and the wanting to perform aspect to make you sharp. And that's what the Walker cup and some really big events have done for me is that, the later we went into the tournament, I play, I got sharper and I played better and continued to build on what I've been learning from the golf course. Uh, and that's what the Walker Cup really did for me. Uh, I played really well against Alex Fitzpatrick, uh, both singles matches, which was really big. They put me out first to play him. And, you know, he's Europeans quote unquote best player, uh, on that, on their side. So they had a lot of trust in what I was doing and, uh, the, the nerves just weren't, they're not overwhelming. They're they're If you, if you enjoy it, if you embrace them, like they're there to help you make you sharper and think about what you're doing. So you can go out there and perform. Uh, I think nerves get a little out of control and people let their mind race about, Oh, if, you know, if I finish top five, I get this. If I finish top 10 or if I win that, those kind of, I guess, external factors allow your nerves to become overwhelming and too much to really perform. Yeah, well said. So it sounds like you it sounds like you have a lot of th- thoughts about the mental game. It sounds like you think about the mental game. How much how much would you say you work on your mental game or how much um or what do you do to work on your mental game if if anything? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any uh there's not any, like any specific where you know a lot of people say they meditate and all that kind of stuff and they read a ton i just i'm not a reader sitting in a room in dead silence for 20 or 30 minutes sounds brutal to me <laughs> sounds like <And> torture <laughs> yeah i i wish i could just put my phone down for a little bit like but for me the mental game is how well can i do it 
when it matters. And that's, I mean, that's all that matters in golf. And so when I'm on the range, I'm done with my session. I just, you know, I go through my bag thinking of different shots I want to hit. I, on the putting green, I do a lot of chalk line stuff and all these different drills. And then it's just like, all right, let's do a nine hole putting contest, see how, how good we roll it. Like, chipping I, and i do that a lot and then competitions with the guys on the team like wedge games on on the on the range or putting contests chipping contests all that kind of stuff so i, I being around seven or eight really com- good golfers also helps your mental game to stay sharp because someone wants to compete in one way or another whether it's ping pong or it's uh you know like i said wedges or putting contest or who can hit the furthest like just that constant competition keeps your mental game sharp. And I think that's something I'm going to have to work on uh, when I turn pro and I don't have that many guys begging to like, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. You just naturally kind of stay sharp. And it's been fun because I, I've realized that. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point that I'm going to have to think about it as a pro because there's just not that many guys. So everyone's doing their own thing now. So, um, the, the mental game in college is a lot of fun. Just like I said, the constant competition and you're just naturally working on it all the time. Right. So do you, I mean, yeah, it seems like pro golfers are more like on their own, doing their own thing with their own team or whatever. Is it like, I mean, I'm sure you having played a tour event and, and been around on Texas. I mean, do you have like right. guys that you would go out there? Like maybe, I don't know, Scotty Scheffler, Jordan Spieth, those kind of guys that you would just like try to get yourself around once you turn pro just to kind of get that fuel. Is that like your plan or, or something like that? Uh, I mean, I don't know if you've thought about it even that much yet. Yeah, you're right here right now. Right. I, all I know right now is I'm going to play at Merido when I'm done. Uh, it's in Carrollton, Texas. And, uh, and I'll be playing out there and there's some good guys, you know, like, Will Del Torres and a bunch of those kind of guys in Dallas, Davis Riley, Taylor Moore, uh, Brandon Thornberry, there's Cooper Dossie, you know, there's there's six, seven, eight really good pros out there. And uh also just been lucky enough to see how great Will Del Torres is the last few years playing around him. So and I've also have seen Scotty and Jordan play and uh talked to them a few times. So, mm. you know, I I'm not, I'm not going to chase them by any means, but if they shoot me a text, want to go play, or I plan on a tour event and run into them. Yeah, like, you know, they're, they're incredibly talented players. And, you know, that's if you surround yourself with guys like that, you're, you're doing something right. Yeah. So, so to talk about like your, like you've played in a ton of big tournaments, lots of pressure. Do you, how much self awareness of your own, mind it's kind of a deep question but how much self-awareness of yourself do you have during a round are you thinking about what am i thinking what's going like what emotions are going through my body or are you just kind of playing and just just seeing target hit target uh that's that's interesting i'm playing until there's a reason to think about it like there's you know, a match plays a very easy example, like your opponent hits in the water. It's like, okay, I'm in the fairway 170 yards out. What am I going to do right now? But like, you know, if, if I'm in the heat of the moment, we're both 170 yards out and it's make birdie is the only outcome I can think about. I'm going to think about how can I get the ball 10 to 20 feet on the right side of the hole and go make that putt. Uh, I think, yeah, that's a bit of a natural instinct unless there's like an extenuating circumstance that makes you get into that mode and match play does that a lot match play really kind of makes you think deeper into your mental game it's like you have all this time you're watching your opponent figure stuff out you know you're just one v one just a type of the feeling that like it's so different it really is mm-hmm. uh but in stroke play there's just there's so many different aspects of unless you have a five shot league with five holes to go like all you care about is hitting the best shots you can coming down the stretch being not conservative, but like, like I said, 10 to 20 feet on the right side of the hole, every time give yourself a chance to birdie. Like uh, I think stroke play is almost sometimes easier to close out just because like you're so locked in into what you're doing and your process as far as 
I don't, I, I really don't care if I'm up by five because I want one by seven. I'm going to make, I'm going to birdie this last three kind of mentality where I'm down by one with three to go. Like, let's make three birdies. As long as you can flip the script, like in your own mind and just keep playing aggressive, then things tend to work out. It's, it's easier said than done until you're really in the situation of like, okay, I do have a four shot lead. Like my first time having a big lead was down in the South Beach uh, in 2018, and it was it was weird. It was a really weird feeling because I had whatever five or six shot lead with nine holes to go, and uh, just did not play well. Only finished winning turn by one, but that experience really helped me honestly figure out how to chase from behind and put up really good rounds at the end, knowing that those guys are having those thoughts, and if they don't handle them well, I I can push up there and give myself a chance. Yeah, interesting. So do you do you feel like you play do you, do you think do you feel like you play better like bad round first round and then you free up and play well in the second round or is it like you gain the momentum off of that? Cuz a lot of the players that are listening to this, a lot of players that I talk to are like I feel like every time I play well in the first round, I play bad in the second one or vice versa. Do, do you have that experience or anything like that? Yeah, I I think that was that's a big part of, I guess, junior golf. I remember especially high school golf and you're really figuring out how to shoot into like the mid sixties was, uh, or even just break 60. You're really kind of having this, uh, break 70, sorry. And Mm -hmm. you have, you have this just, I guess, rush of emotion, excitement that like, okay, I just shot 68 and now I have to go do it again. It's, it's really, it's really not that way because a lot of the best rounds, like, you know, you, you sometimes do start off with a bogey or you're two over through four, like, and whatever the, the reason, the reason a lot of like kind of mental coaches and I've worked with a guy named Neil Smith who works out on the tour is like, you just put yourself into a mind frame that like, you want to go attack the golf course. You want to, you want to play aggressive, whether you know it or not, you just kind of flipped in that script. So if, if you can kind of harness that when you're two under through three or three under through five, like, and then really realize that you know, you're a golfer. You can do quick math. You know that if I'm 300 through five, I could very easily well shoot six or seven under and post a 65, whatever it is. And that would be a great round, no matter what level you are, what course you're on. 65 is a great round. And uh, I think a lot of people struggle with just staying aggressive. It sounds repetitive, but uh, having 120 yards and, you know, there being water somewhere, they might hit it to 35, 40 feet and three putt it because they didn't want to challenge the water a little bit and you know make make another birdie uh so yeah back to your question of why is that i i just think there needs to be more of a i guess more of a mental awareness i need to stay aggressive you know there's there's just always a huge difference between playing recklessly and aggressive and uh tiger says it best aggressive to your target whether that's a two-line to lay up or a driver over the bunker it's aggressive because that's the right decision that you're choosing and you're hitting into that spot. Hmm. Yeah. So on the opposite side of it, like we're talking about when things are going well, how do you keep things going well on the other side when things are not going well? I mean, golf is full of bad shots and bad holes and bad rounds. How do you personally, not how do you think people should do, but how do you personally move on from bad shots, bad holes? Do you have a, do you have a trigger in your mind? Do you have something you say to yourself or what do you do? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's bad shots are frustrating and I wish I would, you know, move on from them faster. And I know everyone wishes they would, they would, but um, I think, I think I take a little, just a little bit of time to think about like, why was that? Did it feel different? Uh, did I think poorly of like, don't pull it, blah, blah, kind of stuff. And, just I, th- I think i just take a little bit of a step back think about it for a little bit so hopefully i'm in a good spot in my round that i can uh go and execute a good shot after that and you know I'm, I'm a i'm a firm believer that there's just too much muscle memory to lose a golf swing at this stage there's just uh a lot of really really poor shots like you're gonna hit bad shots no matter how well you think all that kind of stuff the really poor shots are just kind of a combination of mentally stuck and trying to and you just your body doesn't want to move it doesn't want to execute so uh yeah i I guess i just say to myself 
I just a little deep breath and think about why could this have happened and try to make the next shot as visually as clear as I can in my head just to, I guess, get rid of the ugly shot I just saw. Right. So it's been a while, but um, what was what's the, like the most recent great round you've played? Like, what's the best round you've you played in twenty one? Yeah, the best competitive round I had was at our, ironically, at our home golf course, uh, UT Golf Club for the George Hannon uh, Collegiate. And I'd had a lot of, I've had a lot of success in college, but I hadn't had won until uh, spring in my junior year, which is, it just seems strange uh, because I'd been really close a lot of times. And I was at our home course and shot just a really frustrating kind of one on deer, was hitting it well in good spots. And, I think the lead was like six or seven under. It was a 36 hole day. And it was just frustrating. It was just frustrating seeing that. And I made a nice 12 footer on my last hole to make birdie and move on uh, and shoot under par, which was just kind of the goal because I knew I was just teetering around even par. So the last three holes are tough and played a one under. And that, and that kind of just got me in the right mindset of I got to go do this again. So let, why not just? why not be aggressive? Why not? It's your home golf course, which helps the cause a lot of it. I just remember being like, you know, four under through five. I shoot, I shot eight under, uh, and was just all of a sudden leaving the golf tournament by three or four shots. And then, uh, that round was just special because I did exactly what I need to. I started in the back nine and 11, 12, 13, 14 are all just birdie holes, but like there's, disaster on every hole with one missed shot water trees deep short-sided barn because there's an automatic bogey and uh executed for four straight holes falls golf and it just gave me a ton of confidence going forward the rest of the college season i after that win uh i finished second third second like fourth i didn't finish outside the top five until uh until regionals or big 12s and uh, finished six there. So my my spring, because of that kind of round that I really kind of unlocked uh, a different perspective and focus, just it carried on for three months and was the most consistent best golf I've ever played. Uh, it's by no, it was by no means my best or lowest round I've ever played, but for my college season or college career, that was the most monumental round that I've put together to really build a ton of momentum. Mm. Yeah. So shift gears a little bit. What do you, when you're in season or when you're, when you don't have a fractured arm, what do you do? Like, like what's your kind of week of practice look like? A lot of the players that I talk to and that listen to this want to know how to practice better. Like, how do I get more out of my time? Whether it's more like quantity of time or more higher quality of time. What do you do if you just have like a week of practice? Like, how do you spend your time? How, like, what do you do to go through that week? Yeah, I'll, I'll put this in the perspective as it's summer and I don't have schoolwork is it's probably the better way to do it. But uh, if I'm between tournaments and I have a full week to practice, knowing, you know, I have five days that I don't have to be traveling. I'm, I'm just practicing for those five days. Um, you know, I think, I think I can say very confidently that I'm at the course, you know, whatever it is, nine, ten o'clock. And uh I, I really I kind of start off putting a lot of the time because just you're outside, get your body warm. Uh I think I don't know. I think going to the range cold turkey sometimes is tough. <laughs> and so I putt for a while and I just I do various drills. I wish I would do more speed oriented drills. I still do, but uh I I love the chalk line. I love uh, a putting arc and I can sit there for an hour or two, just chalk, chalk line and putting arc and just ingraining very specific feels and then t- turn that into some type of drill, whether it's a, a making drill or it's a lag putting drill or a short range speed drill. Just there's all kinds of ones. I think it's important that you, I think it's important you have block I work with Josh Gregory on my short game and he says it's really important to have like an hour or even 30 minutes, 20 minutes of like very solidified practice that you do every day. Uh, that just right to build the muscle memory to the max. But then after that, the drill you want to do at the hour or however much time you have, but 
whether you have 20 minutes to do one drill, a short drill, or you have two hours to really do two really hard ones. Uh, you just need to change them up. You can't, you can do the same drills every day, but that becomes tough. And it might be good to do the same one every one for a week and see how much you improve upon uh, putting wise. But whatever feels give you a lot of confidence in the putting green, that should be your first, your first 30 minutes every single time. Whether it's just literally sitting on a putting arc and just seeing the ball go in for a hundred straight putts. That's uh, incredibly valuable practice of just building confidence. Uh, and then going to the range after that, I don't know, we call, call that an hour and a half, two hour practice. It's noon now and go to the range. And during the summer, really in Texas, not going to hit balls longer than 45 minutes to an hour at, at a time. So I'll at least hit balls for 30, 45 minutes, go through the bag very routinely, nothing crazy. Uh, take some videos, just check the basics. Uh, and then a lot of times, you know, I'll either go get lunch or I'll play nine or play 18, just depending on who's out there, how I'm feeling. And uh, I really, I, mean, I would say most time I go play at least nine just to really kind of figure out how I feel about my game, where it is. And then I do a lot of my short game work to end out the day, uh, per se, just because you know, I, it's, again, relaxing. It's a way to cool down. Uh, you know, I, I might go hit balls right after I play and then go do short game before I leave. And with the short game, it's, again, it's no fun to have 50 balls, chip them all across the green, just leave. Like, that's that's mundane. That's boring. It's I get five or six balls, and I'm – you know, I hit a lot of routine shots, try and make the really easy shots to start off with. And then, you know, why not drop them in the same spot and try and flop them into the hole and dunk them? Just change, just change it up, do stuff that it's entertaining to you because uh, practice is so unique. Like, you're never going to have fun doing what someone else is doing. That's not, you know, that's not, well, I think whether you realize it or not, that's not your style. That's not you, the way you think. So, uh but you can mix up a lot of stuff and pull together a lot of the stuff, you know, you read out different drills and figure out the ones that you like, the ones that interest you, because if you're doing a putting drill, chipping drill that you, it really makes you hurt inside when you, when you miss the putt because you got to do it again and all that stuff. Like that's competitive. That's making you sharp and stick with that one. But there's also drills that people do that are just, you know, they, they don't enjoy it. I feel like you're losing time that way. Hmm. So yeah, it sounds like the theme is like make sure and work on the ability to putt, the ability to chip, yeah. the ability to hit, like with camera or whatever, just repetitive practice, but then break it out, get variable, like challenge yourself. So it's a lot of players are like, no, I just need to hit repetitive shots, but you're saying like, do that, but then change it up do some challenging type of practice is that right yeah sorry i was, I was rambling on there but no, no, it's no. uh uh definitely it's it's a it's 50 50 because you have to build muscle memory but uh there's just it's a lot of that stuff once you start playing on the course is different you're not gonna hit the perfect 170 yard eight iron whatever 120 feet in the air like it's gonna be it's going to be flighted. It's going to be to back pins. You're going to hit 150 and let a release back there. All kinds of different things. So if you don't, if you're not kind of constantly thinking about that, and then you go play a tournament, like you're going to feel rusty. You're going to be like, oh, like my low cut with my seven irons not cutting right now, or my high draw is really not that high. Like what's going on? Like you've kind of got to keep mixing up the bag to stay really sharp. That when you go tournament to tournament. Uh, you know, you have the right feels. Right. Yeah. The course is full of randomness and variability and the range, unless you make it random is very predictable. So you've got to work yeah. on making it random, making it variable. And, and it took me a while to realize that I mean, growing up in high school, my dad would preach that to me to try and get me to do different stuff. And uh, it didn't really hit me t until college. So if you're, you know, if you're 12 or 13 and all you do is love to hit balls right now, you know, it is fine. It, it really is fine. It's, it's just the earlier you get into changing things up, you'll, I think you'll see some improvement in your game. Yeah. That's good advice to anybody listening. Um, so 
I've got some random grab bag questions as we kind of just okay. head towards wrapping it up. Um, you can answer them as short or as long as you want, but what's the most pressure you've ever felt on the golf course? Uh, pressure. No, this is tough. I'm trying to think of one moment as far as. Yeah. You've played in a lot of big tournaments with a lot of pressure. So yeah. Yeah. You've played in the U S open, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. I played this year. I, the U S open was tough because I was like T 27 through 27 holes in a really good spot. And, uh, I knew that I just got birdie birdie on 17, 18 and went bogey double to start my back nine. Now I'm on the cut line and it's like, uh, that was, that was pressure, but like, it was just internal, just, uh, I don't know. I, I don't even know what you call it. It was just internal. I just hit two really bad drives, whether it was, I was thinking poorly or whether I was just literally trying to guide them in the fairway. I hit two really bad drives and, uh, that was a lot of pressure, but pure pressure, like having to hit the shot when it counted was, I think the qualifying for the U S open and, and the most recent memory that I can think of, um, is I was playing with Ricky Fowler in sectionals and uh, he was, he was one back of the cut line. I was one back of the cut line and we had a rain delay and had to come out the next morning to finish our last three holes. And we both birdied the par five par 17 and uh, sectional by 36 holes. So it's technically our 35th, whatever hole. And we're on our 36th hole and it's tight fairway. Uh, I hit the fairway. He doesn't. And, I just remember vividly he hit it over the green and I'm knowing if I, if I make it a birdie, I, I get to six under no matter what, like it's all the TV crews are out there at this point. All the players that qualified yesterday are kind of finishing up or hanging around. My teammate Cole hammer had just birdied his last hole to get in. He was a group ahead of me and had birdied his last. So I watched him birdie his last hole to get in. So now he goes on his scorecard and his whole him and his family's caddy. I know and all the stuff are like, now they're watching me. And I don't say it was a lot of pressure, but it was just mine, you know, because I was 130 to back right pin, knowing that I'm going to have too much spin on the ball, knowing I only have four yards to work with because it's wet in the morning. And I landed it, you know, a yard from the back fringe, spun it, lifted out, and had tap in birdie to qualify for the US Open. And I mean, that four footer, I lifted out and it still went to four feet. And that four footer was, that was tough. That was, that was the first one that like my, my uh, heart was in my stomach type feeling. It was just, uh, it was crazy. Cause I didn't have it on the T-box. It didn't have it on the wedge shot. Like it was, it was, I was outside the quote unquote position to make it. But now this four footer is you're supposed to make it. Now you're in position to do it. And uh, yeah, but that, that experience uh, has helped me a lot. Just also because it was Ricky Fowler and they're, First, from US Open sectional, there's 200 people. I want 200 minimum watching you play, uh, just lining the fairways to watch him play. And it was just, wasn't nerve wracking, but it was a different experience that I hadn't had, you know, because his celebrity status is obviously immense and uh, people want to see him. So being around that too, and then closing out the way I did, which is, it was the most pressure packed, uh, meaningful, I guess moment that i've had uh in the most that i can recently think of right so how what did you do to did you calm yourself on the four-footer or did was it like no i wasn't calm at all but it happened to go in yeah it's probably one of those those moments i was not very calm there's no way to shake the nerves at that point it's you know it's it's either the nerves the nerves light hardness is not gonna like just flee your body because you think great like they're there no matter what, but like your visual thoughts can almost override that at times. And so just thinking of this four footer, that's right lip up the hill. Like think of the hundred putts that you've done before you, every single person that's going to play competitive golf is going to hit a four footer right lip on the putting green before they even go play around. I mean, that's just most standard putt right-handed putter is going to have. And so just, I guess just overriding the thought of like how many times I've actually done it seeing it and just knowing just kind of knowing in my head no matter what is going in like i there was no real thought of it missing it was 
it was visualizing what the ball is going to do and knowing that it's going to go in. That's awesome. It's, I guess, what overrode the nerves. Yeah, just complete self-confidence, self-belief that in your ability to do it. I mean, that's hard to argue with. Yeah, sometimes fake the confidence till, till it works, too. Yeah, yeah. So who has been your greatest influence? It, I mean, it, I mean, it would be unquestionably my dad. Uh, I would say his greatest influence was his dad who played on tour and all that stuff. So that was, they both have had a huge impact on my golf career. But my dad's been the one that's coached us when we were young and just kind of, you call it nurtured our game, just watch it grow, help us through all the ups and downs. Uh, no matter what that's been. So he's been just incredible to have around. I mean, there's no other way to put it. He's he's um, helped in every aspect of my golf career. And I know there's a lot of dads that are uh, trying to do that same thing for their sons. Yeah, that's awesome. Who's your favorite player? Uh, favorite, I, I just grew up a diehard Roy McIlroy fan. I can remember him winning at, at Congressional in 2011, uh, just runaway U.S. Open. And that's my first memory of watching golf. Uh, and so from there on, and, you know, he played great forever. And uh, then all the 2014 run, all that stuff. So just ever since that kind of my phase of really getting into competitive golf was when Roy was world number one, winning all the time. Uh, so it's hard not to love what he's done and just respect his game. Yeah. Who has the best mental game in your opinion? And it could be yourself, but. Who has the best mental game, or who's like a maybe a model of a good mental game? Maybe yeah, you've played with him personally, and like wow, his mental game is on point, or a pro that you have never met. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think uh, the obvious of John Rahm and Colin Morikawa are incredible. Uh, the way both of them have just closed out tournaments, whether they're behind, ahead, no matter what the scenario is, they've been the two most unwavering players you could say the last two years now, I guess, uh, has been, and as a competitive golfer, you can see it, you know, like those putts that John Rahm made on 17, 18th US Open were just, I mean, absurd, just absurd for those two 12 or 15, 20 footers to go in breaking 10 feet. It's like, unless you're visualizing exactly what you wanted to do, there's, there's no way to like, I don't know what you call it. Just, just force that ball to somehow get right around the hole like that. And they, they both win perfectly. And so just having those kind of will be on the watch that, and I guess being at the US Open, knowing how difficult those putts were, gives me a really good perspective of how truly like good he was thinking, how good he was executing and what he, he's had a complete belief that those putts were going to go in before he hit him a hundred percent. And uh, same thing with a lot of things, Colin, Colin Workout was done that we've all have watched. The British Open was incredible. Again, him making just some crazy pods. Jordan Spieth said, um, you know, Colin's incredible. But when he makes pods, like, he's he's amazing. He's just amazing when he makes pods, the way he's been hitting the ball. And I think one of the most uh, one of the most impressive is also Scotty Scheffler, just being around. Like, he's ultra competitive and uh but in a positive way that you know he's really really hard on himself when he's on the range when he's you know it almost seems like it almost seems like he's trying to beat himself up on purpose which probably is but that a lot of guys actually you know seem to do that is and uh it, i guess it makes them better they feel like they're turning it on a lot of guys say so uh i would say those three are really good uh they're just, they're just awesome golfers and impressive to watch no matter what. Yeah, you, it's hard to argue that those three aren't three of the best players in the world over the last year. I mean, they're and their mental games either – I mean, it's, it's probably because of their mental game. Like, it's because of how solid they are and how, un, like, un, unshakable they are, right? Yeah, I would completely agree. It's, I, like I said, if you know, – you, you are a golfer and you are watching those three. It's very, it's very clear why they are up there, regardless of their physical abilities. It's because they are unwaveringly focused about what they're doing on the golf course. Yeah. Okay. Last couple questions. We're going to dig this up in 10 years. So you got to, you got to yeah. get it right. In 10 years, I guess what will you be 30, 31? 
Yeah, 31. Yeah, 31. So when you're 31 and you're looking back over the last 10 years, what will you hope to have accomplished? Uh, you know, I've, I've gotten this question a lot recently, and I, I'm just really not the kind of person that jumps way ahead. You know, the, the goal right now, all I care about is finishing top five PGA Tour U. Once that goal's hit, okay, let's reassess move. The next goal is going to be hopefully I'm fortunate to get some sponsor exemption on the PGA Tour this summer, but it finished top five in the Corn Ferry is uh, on the PGA Tour U is kind of all that pushes me to the next spot. So I think thinking way past that's just kind of, I know a lot of people do. It's just a little bit outrageous for me. You know, like long-term goals are great, but short-term goals are what get you out of bed in the morning. And uh, so just some of what I would hope to accomplish in the next two or three years is top five PGA Tour U, uh, whether I have to go through the path of the corn fair or two exemptions, whatever it is, hopefully, you know, get on the tour in two or three years and then assess where I am from there. And, you know, once, once I have the ability to get on tour and, uh, start winning golf tournaments wherever that leads me to in 10 years you know i i obviously hope and say to be number one in the world and uh i know i can i fully believe that i'll have the ability to at some point win a major and get to number one in the world it's just you know unfortunately i am 21 and thinking of those things so far ahead just doesn't seem to do you any good because if you don't hit the 25 30 check mark to get to that point of you know top player in the world I feel like you might lose sight of a lot of the simple things. So really just focusing on how do I get to PJ tour and that's getting, uh, that's getting my corn fairy card through PJ tour U and, uh, winning as much and as fast as possible from there on. Yeah. So have those huge goals, but that's like back of your mind. That's back burner. Really? Like what can I, what do I need to do this week or this year? Right. It's much more short. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's good or bad. I know everyone thinks about it differently. It's just, I, I really, short-term goals do me a lot, a lot more for my just getting up. Let's go practice now. Let's do this uh, type mentality. Yeah. I think that's a good way to think about it. Uh, okay. Last question. What percent of golf is physical and what percent is mental? Uh, I mean, I very much call it just 50, 50, you know, there's, there's, a lot of guys that have immense talents, great golf swings on Instagram. You can see some of those gorgeous golf swings on Instagram. Just flip through your search page and you're just, you're like, oh, where is this guy? And he's, he's unfortunately on a, maybe a developmental tour where he's uh, been a pro for a few years and just hasn't had that great success. But then you see guys, you know, like Tom Ganey winning on tour or uh, uh, I played the Pella Beach program a few weeks ago and saw Ted Potter Jr. out there and, uh, who's had a, a great career on tour. You know, he's had multiple victories and been out there for a long time. But sometimes you question yourself, like, on the outside, I might have more physical, obvious physical talents than that guy. But, like, he's already won on tour. He's done what I'm hoping to expire to do. And the only reason he has done that is because he has complete mental confidence in what he's doing. And it's a very impressive uh so I think it is very 50-50 because to be the absolute best player in the world, you have to have both. Uh, but you can't win on tour with just one or the other. You know, you and But I think to be on tour and perform in front of people and playing for a livelihood, the mental game is going to override a lot of those physical abilities. Hmm. Yeah, well said. There's no right answer to that. It's Some people say 90-10. Some people say 70-30. There's no right answer. <laughs> uh, it's just like... How how good do you believe in your own ability and let yourself play well? That's what it comes down to. So sure. that's that's a good way to look at it. Um, so I'll let you go, but this has been awesome. Anything that you want to like mention or any way people you want people to follow you or or promote anything you want to promote anything like that? Uh, not I mean not necessarily. It's. <laughs> I, whatever, have Instagram, Twitter. If you have questions, you can DM me. I, you know, I, I tried to be as open as possible. And, you know, I, I enjoy doing this stuff. So, uh, this was fun. Thank you. 
All right, everyone, hope you enjoyed that talk with Pearson Cootie. So much valuable info from such a good player. My personal biggest takeaway was that nerves can be valuable. They're always going to be there, so it's more of how you channel them and react to them and less about trying to suppress them. That example from the U.S. Open qualifier where he was playing with Ricky Fowler with that four-footer is an awesome example of that. You're going to be nervous. You're going to encounter difficult, tough situations, whether they're great, positive, exciting situations like his, or they're bad, tough, um, difficult situations. You're going to encounter nerves, pressure, bad feelings, emotions, It's less about suppressing them and more about how you react to them. I think that's a great takeaway from this conversation. I want to know your biggest takeaway from Pearson. What did you learn? What are you going to go work on from this? I want you to tweet at Mental Golf Show with your biggest takeaway. I want to see that. I want to to see how you're going to apply this info. It's one thing to just listen. It's another thing to actually take what you hear and learn from it and apply it and go work on it. So tweet at Mental Golf Show with your biggest takeaway. You could also do it on Instagram. You could make a post or a story with the tag at Mental Golf Show. That's, that's where you can find on Twitter and Instagram, The Mental Golf Show. I would love it if you tagged The Mental Golf Show with what you're going to work on from this episode. You can find more from The Mental Golf Show by going to the website foundationsmp.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Josh Luke Nichols. I would love it if you left a review of The Mental Golf Show on Apple Podcasts. That's how Apple surfaces this podcast for others, and we can grow the Mental Golf Show community. I've heard from a lot of people of how they discovered The Mental Golf Show was they just searched on their podcast player, usually Apple Podcasts, for mental golf game or something along those lines. If The Mental Golf Show has a higher rating on Apple Podcasts, it's going to more readily surface this podcast for other people who are searching for how to get better at the mental game, how to, how to learn how to handle situations better, how to move on from bad shots, how to handle nerves. And they'll find episodes like this where they can get real answers and real examples. So go leave a review of the mental golf show on Apple podcasts. It would, it would make a huge difference to the show and the community. And if you want to get your mental game to a higher level and you want to work on the things that we talked about in this episode or in past episodes or practice routines or goal setting or how to handle nerves or how to handle pressure or, or, or any of the topics that we've talked about on the over 100 episodes of this show, that's my specialty. That's what I do. That's what I do for a living. I am a mental coach for a living. I love doing this podcast. It's awesome, but it is a side hustle for what I do for a living, which is mental coaching. If you want to get in touch with me, email me, foundationsgolf at gmail.com to get in touch and we can head down that path of working on your mental game, getting you into a better place, whether it's for this upcoming season or, or you're in season right now, whenever you're listening to this, we can work on it and we can do it together. Email me, foundationsgolf at gmail.com. All right, everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of The Mental Golf Show. I'm Josh Nichols, and I'll see you guys in the next one.